0: Yeah, I just want to go ahead and ask you if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Hebrews chapter two, where again today we're going to continue in this series entitled "Jesus is Greater." You see, the goal—not uh, uh, just of this section of Hebrews, but really uh, I believe of uh, this entire book, but also the entire uh, story of Scripture and its narrative—is that Jesus is that that Jesus is greater. This belief is not simply my belief, it's what I believe that the Word reveals to us. He is greater, but as we even kicked off this series, His greatness, this reality of it, is that when we view and get a picture of His greatness, as we put our faith, our hope, and our trust in His greatness, not only are we given life... Scripture says that, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But as we grow in our view and picture uh, of what it means to have life in Jesus, uh, we also live differently. Right? So our identity shapes not only who we are, but it then uh, empowers what we do. Jesus says we won't just live differently. We won't just have life. But in Him, according to John 10, is we will have what? Abundant life. And so as we think on Jesus' greatness, that, that is rooted, as we've seen in Hebrews, in His authority, right? The greatness of Jesus, rooted in His, ultimately, authority, leads to, in our lives, as we view it and see it, it leads to transformed obedience, I don't know about you, but man, uh, almost every moment in the day, I am bombarded, or I feel this this pull and this tendency to to uh, look to other things that, that are claiming to be greater, right? Like there are constantly things, whether it's on uh, social media, whether it's on television, whether it's in interactions in relationship, or and we don't give this one a lot of thought, what's going on in here? Well, what we're wrestling with in here is constantly making these claims that they are the greatness, they're the greatest. You see, in light of Christ, nothing is greater. Because while all these other things claim to hold that position, guess what? They don't last. Nothing holds on to that label. Aside from Christ, nothing lasts that says it's the greatest. So far, what we've seen is that Jesus is the greater prophet, priest, and king. And then uh, we've worked through this reality that Jesus is greater than the angel's Therefore, as we saw at the beginning of chapter 2 last week, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift. So in the midst of life, in the midst of circumstance, in the midst of struggle, uh, persecution, whatever it is, we look at all of life and we are to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. Well, again, what is it that we've heard? What's that Jesus lived? That he died and that he rose again. It's the good news of the gospel. But it's not simply that we hear it, but that we respond to it, that we learn to put our faith and trust in it in every moment. And so it's this call that is expounded further in our time today. And so let's just jump right in by looking at Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to begin in verses 5 through 9. It says this. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. All right, so as we enter in, I want want you to think about something for a moment. Have you ever uh, set back in life or taken a moment to look at your life and just wonder? Maybe uh, you're sitting and you're looking at, at your spouse and you begin to just wonder or your children that God has graced you with, if He's graced you with children, or even, uh, man, just the beauty of creation. And you just sit back and take a moment to take it all in and then you just wonder yourself, how in the world would you ever deserve to be graced in the ways by which you are graced. Do you ever find yourself in awe of the sheer magnitude of grace and mercy you've received in life as a follower of Jesus? Do you have those moments where you just stop? And I love it because a lot of times when it happens to me, man, I'm just kind of surprised by it. Like uh, For a moment, I'm just struck like, wait a second, don't move past this too quickly. Man, I don't deserve everything I have. I don't deserve all like the grace that God has given me. Who am I? Maybe for some of you, you're like, yeah, I get that. But uh, how many of you, um, like in light of your sin, brokenness, and rebellion, you're just like, man, I would, well, why would I ever deserve to have any of what I know and have experienced in terms of following Jesus? Like it's only by His grace. When you do that, like you're just reminded of just how wonderful, how, just how great Jesus is, Right? But but how many of you would say, like, maybe you need that reminder from time to time? Anybody ever just just start to think they're just great because they're great, right? Amen, right here. Like, that's me, right? Like, there are many moments where I can can just be like, yeah, like, I deserve it all, you know? Everything I've got coming to me. I think, you know, as I thought about that, I was reminded of, you know, that... We have moments where we realize that, but then God puts people in our lives that just remind us of that, right? They put people in our lives that are like, "Hey, you're not as great as you think you are," not in a like a, a bad way where they're just like casting you down, but just like, "Hey, pump the brakes a little bit, Kyle," right? Like you're, you, you know. And and I, I thought about it, and there's one person in my life uh, that, that I just thought of over and over again. So my pastor growing up uh he's retired now but ever since i've gotten married every every single time within like the first 30 seconds he tells me the same thing kyle i just want you to know that you married up and i'm like i know brother jerry i know like i married he's like but then like 30 seconds later he's like kyle i don't know if you know this but you out kicked your coverage In terms of marriage, right? Like, you married way up. And he, and I'm like, I know, I know, Jerry, I know. Like, and then like 30 seconds, like he said, and then the next time he he writes me letters from time to time, the first thing he says in the letter, Kyle, you married up. So much so that there are moments when I'm like, yes, I know that. And man, I did. Like, I married up. But there's moments where I'm just like, hey man, pump the brakes a little bit. Like, you're making me, like, you're making me feel real bad about myself, right? Like, Like, I'm starting to question my own identity and who I am. Like, I, I'm not worth anything. But I know what he's doing. He's trying to say, hey, Kyle, like, you need to be reminded. Man, God has graced your life in such significant and great ways. So much so that, man, you know, one day, like, when, if he ever didn't say it, it would be like, hey, tell me I married up, Jerry. I need to hear it. You see, I think it's the same. Like, we need that reminder in our lives. It's the same in terms of our view of God. Like Scripture is filled with stories of great men and women of God who in the midst of such blessing find themselves over and over again doing one of two things. Either patting themselves on the back and being humbled, or... Being in all that a holy God, who created and sustains everything by His very Word and rescues and redeems its brokenness, would not choose, would choose them to not only receive relationship and redemption, but to live abundantly for Him. You see, in Christ we come to know that we deserve nothing, but in turn, by the abounding grace and mercy of God, we receive again not just life, but life abundant. And that should warrant a response in our posture. But it also should warrant a response in our actions. It should warrant a response of adoration and worship. It should warrant a response of obedience and proclamation. That we would sit back and say, God, why in the world would you ever use me? And yet God, by His grace, says, but I want to. And that we would take that to heart and take that serious and live out of that. See, this is what the writer of Hebrews transitions to following his warning and exhorting to pay much closer attention to what they've heard so they don't drift. And he begins by again stating that Jesus is greater than the angels. He says, because Christ will be the one who rules the world to come. The writer then draws us back to Psalm chapter eight, where if you read Psalm eight, what it is is it's an act of worship by David, and what he's doing in Psalm eight is he's declaring the majesty of God in light of all His creation. Now, if you look through that Psalm two, Psalm, two things happen that are significant to the text today. First, in Psalm eight, David, in light of the majesty of God and His creation, he says specifically, in "The heavens" is that he looks at the heavens what he does is he finds himself wondering the same thing we wonder. He says, why in the world would God use humanity to fulfill His purposes in the world? He says, "Uh, who is man that you are mindful of Him? You see, what David understands is that in Genesis 1, when when man was created in God's image, we were given uh, what's called a cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it. But guess what David also understands? It didn't take us very long to mess it up, right? Genesis 1, Genesis 3, it's broken. That's a 2, that's a 3. 1, 3. It's broken. And it continued to be broken. Broken. This is why David asked the question that the writer in Hebrews presents. And it's in a comforting and and funny way because in verse 6 at the beginning, he says it's testified somewhere, right? Which gave me a lot of hope because there's a lot of times I'm like, I know that's in the Bible, but I don't remember where. But he says it's testified somewhere. What does he say? He says, what is man that you're mindful of us? And the son of man that you care for us. What David's getting at is he's saying, God, despite our brokenness, God has given, he says, you've given us authority over creation despite us. He uses that term son of man that we're going to get to in a moment that Jesus uses over and over again. But really that son of man there means, that he, he's, it means the ideal man. D- David knows and something we know, guess what? We're not the ideal man and woman. This wrestling and wondering that the author of Hebrews uses to point to the second thing from the psalm text. Which is what David does in Psalm 8 is it's a prophetic speaking about the Messiah that would come and He would be what Adam and every person who followed Adam could not be. Jesus is the greater Adam. You see, David in Psalm 8 and something we should be aware of in light of our sin is that we cannot do what we're called to do in and of ourselves. And yet, Jesus came. And He lived as the man we could not. He is the Son of Man or the ideal man we are not. The text goes on to talk about this. It says that He was made for a little while lower than the angels. Now, we have already, already said, well, but Kyle, you've already said Jesus is greater than the angels. What He means here is that it's not that He held less authority, but that He left heaven and put on flesh. But also, that that little while being made lower was that He was made low through His suffering and death. But now, He has been crowned with glory and honor. Having everything put in subjection to Him by way of His resurrection from the dead. You see, Jesus came and He didn't just come and simply say, hey, I'm king. Crown me now. If you don't, I'm going to be done with you. He he didn't come in that way. He's not simply a king who declares it over himself, but he was crowned by what he suffered. Christ subjected himself to suffering that led to death so that upon his resurrection, everything might be made subject to him who holds all authority. The text says, even though we don't see everything in subjection, one day it will be. You see, while the work is finished, He is still making all things new. And guess what? One day all things will be made new. What this means is that although human beings lost due to our sin, Christ, through His perfect obedience, has regained what was lost. This is why we worship and declare Jesus to be greater. And N.T. Wright says that the exaltation of Jesus and the fact that we who follow Him can celebrate that and live in light of it, he says that is one of the major themes of this whole book. For Jesus is both our representative in that He lived and spoke on our behalf, but He's also our substitute in that He tasted death for us. So that we, by grace, might not have to taste death Death in an ultimate sense. Like, does that reality draw you to worship today? Because guess what? Like, it should. Like, we would do well to remind ourselves of this. To, to uh, to uh, man, take hold and, and recall the good news of the Gospel, not just on Sunday, but daily, because guess what? It should never grow old, and we never outgrow it. And so with that before us, let's continue looking at this good news of Christ's glory and honor that came through suffering by reading verses 10-13. through It says this, For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. All right, so in light of what the writer has just shared, we see the theme of subjection through suffering fleshed out. With this beginning statement in verse 10, where the writer states that it was fitting or proper, which shows us that it was again the plan all along. Jesus' suffering was not plan B. but it was the plan all along for Jesus for the, the one for whom all things and by whom all things exist to suffer so Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things, not only creates and sustains, but rescues and restores, not by giving us a do-better message, not by shaming us into getting our act together, but He suffers on our behalf. With the goal that He might be the founder of salvation, because there is no other salvation. And by doing so, He would bring many sons and daughters to glory. He would bring many to salvation. the writer goes further by stating that Jesus, the founder of salvation, was actually perfected through suffering. Which begs the question, how? Because it seems odd when we understand that Jesus was already perfect. Like He never sinned. And so why would He be perfected through suffering? Well, the answer is that in dying for us, Jesus qualified Himself to be our perfect Savior and our greater High Priest through His perfect obedience to the Father's will. And so in verse 11, we see that it's because of that He makes us holy or sanctifies us for the purpose of displaying His glory. And the reason He does that is because the sanctifier and those who are sanctified are one. He is fully one with us. He identifies with us. And guess what? Hear this. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters you need to hear that today. Like, I don't know where you're coming in here today, but today, maybe you need to hear that Jesus is not ashamed of you. Maybe your whole life, like maybe you didn't uh, you, you didn't have the greatest home life, or maybe even now today, like you've always kind of dealt with that insecurity of, am I enough? Uh, have I done enough? Have I proved enough? And yet, God's Word says, He says, we're not ashamed. He's not ashamed of us. The the, the quotation we get reveals this in Psalm 22 where David, again, prophetically speaking of the Messiah who would suffer. Verse 1 of Psalm 22 is, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? It's this picture of what Jesus would experience in suffering on our behalf. But then you get this transition in verse 21 where we see this call of praise where He says that He will declare triumphantly that He is not ashamed to call those He rescues brothers. You see, in doing this, what we see is that Jesus is our true elder brother that came to not simply identify with, but to rescue his brothers and sisters from what they could not rescue themselves from. I think one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen of this is uh, from uh, the, 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 the parable, like the prodigal son, right? So Tim Keller wrote a book called Prodigal God. We have free copies of this. You can get them on your way out. It's a great book. Like, I encourage you to read it or download it on Audible and listen to it. Uh, but this is a phenomenal resource. But in Prodigal God, well, Keller tells the story from Luke chapter 15. And what he does is he relates the story and he says, look, there's three parables told in Luke 15. The first is the lost sheep. The second is the lost coin. And then the prodigal son. And what he says is in the first two parables of the sheep and the coin, someone goes out or seeks out and searches for that which is lost. You see, in the story of the prodigal son, we don't get that picture. The son leaves. The son actually goes to his father and says, Father, uh, I know I have an inheritance, uh, but I want it now, and I don't want anything else to do with you. Really, what he's telling his dad is, I wish you were dead. Give me what you've got for me. I want that and then I want nothing to do with you. And he goes away, right? Father gives him his inheritance and he goes and wastes it away and ends up, uh, you know, in a pigsty, right? And he, he, he says, man, if I could just get back to the Father, then maybe he can just give me a job and I can work my way back into graces, right? Like I can, like if I just had a job for now, I'd be better off than I am now. You see, the question that Keller presents is that when the son leaves, no one goes out, which the father comes out to him when he returns, but the question Keller presents is who should have gone out? What Keller says and argues is that everyone would have expected the older son to go out and bring his younger brother back. It's the same thing from Genesis 4 when Cain murders Abel. God says, hey, where's Abel? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? the answer is yes see what we find in the parable is that the older brother does not respond the way he should what happens in the parable is when the the younger son comes back the father just lavishes grace and love on him the older older brother just sits out and pouts he's angry because he says man I've done everything right you've given me nothing he reveals his own brokenness and inability to rescue but guess what with Jesus this is not so Jesus is the true elder brother that we needed. He came from heaven to rescue. He brought us out of slavery, not with money, but with His life so that we might be brought back into the family. See, this is what Jesus has done for us. He's the true elder brother that cared for His brothers and sisters and came for them. He didn't just come for them. He died for them. So again, remember like today, in Christ. Like, he's not ashamed to call you brother. He's not ashamed to call you sister. And so with that, let's close out by looking at how Jesus through suffering became our greater priest by reading verses 14-18. through 18. It says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Because he has himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay, so again, what we see the writer doing is seeking to express that we do not have a savior that is out of touch with our human experience, but one who partook of the same things by putting on flesh. You see, Jesus experienced the same suffering and ultimate blow of death. Like Jesus went all the way. He didn't just go part of the way and said, okay, I've modeled it for you. I've shown you how you can be perfect. Now get there. No, he took it to the fullest extent. He didn't come to just show us the way. No, Jesus literally came as the way. He stood in our place. He took our sin upon Him. He suffered and died so that we might have life. Guess what? Every other religion has no grid for that. They they all say this is the path. You better do enough and then hope that it's enough. But Jesus didn't say that. You see, Jesus simply wasn't the model. He is the way. Jesus is the only way. And so in doing so, Jesus did three things according to this text. First, He destroyed the devil. You see, Jesus, His death was no defeat. Actually, Jesus' death was a triumph over sin, death, and Satan. He, He made a mockery of Satan. And while we still experience death in Christ, we have no fear of it because it holds no ultimate power over us, which is why Paul can say that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Second, in destroying the devil's power over death, Jesus also, what it says is he's delivered us from its enslavement. This reverts back to the Exodus story. For through Christ, we are delivered from our ultimate enslavement. Uh, We are brought through the greater exodus and we have been delivered into the promised land of rest and relationship with the Father. And then lastly, we see that it is not the angels that Jesus helps, but we who are the offspring of Abraham. In doing this, Jesus reveals Himself to be the true and better high priest for His people. And while we see what Jesus did in three ways, we see Him as a greater high priest in three main ways. The first is this. He he is a merciful and faithful mediator. Let me explain what I mean because those aren't just two words. And I think, especially on the mercy part, uh, we struggle with that. You see, mercy is more than a simple emotion. Rather to be merciful, one must act to alleviate the pain of another. You see, we, we talk about this all the time in my house right now, right? Like, when you hurt a sibling, or even for me, because I struggle with it too, like, when a kid gets hurt, I just want to be like, hey, just brush it off. Like, I I don't want to coddle, but sometimes, like, I show no mercy, okay? Like, there, at times, there's very little mercy in our house in terms of just getting hurt and just the day-to-day life. It's like, nope, just get, you deal with it, right? Uh, you know, you're four, you should know, Okay? Uh and so we deal with that, but but what it is, it's it's saying, Hey, look, I'm not gonna coddle, but I'm gonna care about this in a way that I want to make sure your pain's alleviated. Instead of just saying, Dust yourself off, get out there, right? It's like, no, I want to have mercy, just say, Hey, are you okay, right? You accidentally hurt your sibling, just take a moment to say, Hey, can I get you something? Instead of just yelling at them for being in your way. You see, Jesus, as a merciful high priest, does not just care about our needs. He draws near and does something about them. But He's not just merciful, He's faithful. You see, He showed Himself faithful by bearing our sin. Calvin once said that our hell was made His so that His heaven might be ours. Our hell was made His so that His heaven might be ours. He was faithful to the end. And guess what? He will continue to be faithful always. Second, the text says He is the propitiation for our sins. What this means is that Jesus did not simply just atone for sin, but He fully received the wrath of God and He put it away. He took all the wrath in obtaining our salvation. You see, God met the demands of holiness by standing and receiving the wrath we deserve for our sin. That's what Jesus has done. And then lastly, we see He's our helper. Jesus is our great helper because guess what? He was tempted and yet without sin. But in, in, in that, he, was, he is able to help we who are tempted... Like, remember, I think we forget it, we just like, yeah, Jesus was perfect, but we don't understand the reality of that and what that probably really meant for his life. Like he was sinless, and so being tempted, in being tempted, he suffered. Because the revulsion of temptation in light of his sinlessness made him suffer in greater ways than we could ever imagine. Like we don't experience this, right? Like we suffer because of sin, but guess what? We're prone to just go after it, right? Because we're prone to quickly believe, man. It's gonna feel. It's gonna feel good. It's gonna get me what I want. So we go after Jesus. Wasn't that like he was like it, it, it was revulsion. Like he suffered because of it. You see, even through this, he did not choose another way. Like when Jesus is tempted. In the wilderness, the temptation is, hey, if you want you don't have to deal with this anymore if you'll just sin one time. That that sinlessness that brings you you know, you you're tempted and you just feel it, like if you just sin one time, you can be like everybody else. But I'll give you all these other things, right? Because sin always promises more than it can ever produce. He says, No, away from me, Satan. No, Jesus sought the Father's will in all things above even the reality of death upon the cross. And guess what? Like Jesus also didn't just experience like just a little bit of sin. The entirety of God's wrath and he took all like past, present, and future, all of it. Like he the weight of it was placed upon him. And so we have a high priest that can sympathize with our suffering. But he doesn't just sympathize with it and say, Hey, good luck. I'm so sorry. No, He's merciful and faithful. He helps us in the midst of our temptation as we behold that the glory of the Gospel is better than any momentary sin we seek to turn to. He is better than all of it. He is greater. And so as we think about this and we think about Jesus' greatness in light of uh, all these things, what does this mean for us? Well, let me, let me say two things. One, if you don't know Jesus today, man it means that man, if you're hearing these things, like you need to cry out to Jesus for rescue. He is merciful and faithful to rescue. You need to quit trying to do what you cannot and find life in Him. Jesus' perfect life is enough. His sacrificial death is enough. Like repent and believe today. turn to him, turn from your sin. But as followers of Jesus, I think it does a few things. First, it calls us to be reminded of our need for the gospel. To be reminded that Jesus is our representative and our substitute. Next, it calls us to look to Him. That He is the true elder brother who is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. It calls us to rejoice and hope in Jesus as our high priest that destroyed the penalty of sin is delivering us from its power and helps us along the way as the faithful and merciful mediator who received what we deserve and is an understanding help in the midst of temptation. And then lastly, in light of Christ being crowned in glory and honor, we are now commissioned with a new cultural mandate well what god set forth in genesis 1 has been made new in christ and he gave it to us in matthew 28 so we're going to close out with today where we are to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit teaching them to be teaching them to observe all that god has commanded You see, because Christ has done what we could not, we are now freed up and commissioned to live lives that are fruitful, that multiply. We are called to subdue the earth, to fill it with the glory of God. And we do that because we realize that He is greater and we realize what He's done, but we do that because He is not ashamed of us. And He has commissioned us, and therefore, Romans 1.16, like we are to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we see Jesus in, in this way today? Do we see Him as our representative and our substitute? Do we see Him as our true brother that came and, and, and left heaven and came and dwelt among us? And lived in a way we could never live, although we try, but we can't do it. And He died in our place and He rose in power. And today, do you see Jesus in the midst of your circumstance? I don't know about you, but for me, so often in life, when I'm struggling, be it with sin, be it with doubt, be it with, uh, man, uh, whatever it is, and oftentimes I I can get in this mode in my head where I think, well, let's just hold it to me. No one understands. No one's going to get this. And, and I forget the reality that no, He does. And he, 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 he is merciful and faithful. And, and he, he is a helper in the midst of the temptation to say, I've got to figure it all out. I've got to take care of it. I've got to be something. Instead of just looking to Him and saying, Jesus, I need help are there areas in your life where you're looking to other things thinking, well, that's greater. And if I could just get a hold of that, then that will be the help I need. Instead of just sitting back and saying, one, Jesus, as I look (laughs) at you, I realize more and more man, just how great you are and just how much of a helper you are and just how near you are. And we would have that posture. And it would draw us to say, God, like who is man? Who am I that you are mindful of me? And yet and then we would look at Jesus. Who, who who did what we could not. And if we live that way, if we if if we posture ourselves in that way, man, what that what happens? Is not only are we transformed, but man, man, that's something we want to proclaim to other people, right? Like I want to share <laughs> like that's the power of Christ on display. I mean, people need to know that cuz they're looking to other things. And we need to share that with them. And so I want to invite you into that today. As our team comes back up, and I want you to I want to invite you just to reflect on what we've walked through today. To reflect on Jesus as you, the, the the great high priest, to reflect on him as your representative and substitute. The, the, the elder brother that we needed that's not ashamed of us. The one that helps us in the midst of our temptation because he understands because he was tempted and yet he is without sin. And then in that, just ask, like, Spirit, let, may I live a life that exudes that kind of awe and worship, but also may I proclaim the hope that is only found in Christ. And then, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want to invite you to come. You can share in communion with us. And we ask, man, I ask that as you share in this, that you would be reminded of who Christ is and how great He is. That as we share in communion, we are reminded of His suffering. That He suffered all the way to death. And then in remembrance of Him, that He rose again in victory, that we might have life. That our hell was made His so His heaven might be ours. Today, if you don't know Jesus, if you're sitting here and you're like, man, that sounds really good, but I have no grit. All I have is I better do enough. And I want you to come talk to me. I'll be up here. I'd love to share with you the hope that is only found in Christ. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then um, I'll give you a moment. You can share in communion when you're ready. And then we're going to proclaim the truth of this Jesus that is our man of sorrows. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You. um, God, that You are worthy of all our worship. But I pray that we (laughs) would be constantly reminded of Your greatness. Of what You have done for us. That we would not uh, be... uh, or sit back and just coast or be quick to forget what You've done. But that we would look to You in all things. That we would be reminded daily of who You are as a risen and reigning King that came and was perfected through suffering. And it is only by You that 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 people are saved and lives are changed. And so may that be what our hope is set in, but also may that be what we proclaim to the world around us. May we be drawn to awe today. May we be drawn to worship. May we lay down whatever the circumstance is knowing that You are our helper. That You, uh, not only that, but You have given us Your Spirit that indwells us. But also You've given us the church. And so Lord, I ask that You move. May we continue to clear Your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen.